Hello, I'm Caroline Pierce, and this is the podcast from Luxie in which we talk to interesting people with interesting jobs. Um, today, we've been talking to Victoria Northwood, who is a freelance heritage professional. And in the conversation, she tells you all about what that means to her and why she does it um, and how she's got there and who how she would recommend if anybody wants to get into heritage as a profession and that in a freelance capacity, if you're interested in that. Um, it was really interesting talking to Victoria in particular, how she talks about um, medieval life and the insights that we can get into medieval life and how creativity sits within her professional world. So I hope that you enjoy listening to the conversation with Victoria. As always, the podcast is technically supported by Jason Burge and the music is by Roma Yagnik. Enjoy. Hello, Victoria. Um, how do you describe you? I describe myself as a freelance heritage professional. And tell us a bit more about what does a freelance heritage professional do? So, um, all sorts of things, but in my case, I, um, so in terms of heritage, I work with archives, I work with historic buildings and structures, I work with museum collections, um, and the types of freelancing I do sort of fall into two categories, really. Um, I provide interim support in an emergency. So if somebody's left a job and they need someone to come in quickly while they recruit, or if they need someone to cover maternity leave or, um, heaven forbid, a period of sickness, although that hasn't happened yet, um, I'm the sort of person who can leap into the breach and pick up very quickly and I I look up so I you know quite often do temporary looking after people or looking after collections the other side of what I do is um, around funded projects so quite often uh, heritage gets funding particularly from the heritage lottery fund but other funders are available and out there um, and quite often organizations get the money in and then don't have the capacity to actually deliver on what they've said they're going to do. Um, so quite often there'll be funding in those projects for a project manager or somebody to come in and actually make sure it all gets done. Um, so I do quite a bit of that as well. So to, to a little bit more about heritage, what, what's, what does heritage mean or like some examples of what you mean by heritage or projects that you've worked on, just to sort of add some texture, I suppose, for people yeah. who don't necessarily know? So I suppose it's, you know, the most obvious use of the idea of heritage is something old that's been you know, sort of looked after and cared for, and it's still with us today. So, you know, that might be in a museum context, that might be archaeology, you know, things, objects from the past that people have dug up or, or found and, and found out about and interpreted and, you know, looked after. Um, it can be buildings that have just, you know, survived come hell or high water. Um, but it can also be things that are important that aren't necessarily that old um so one of the one of the places i've worked is shakespeare's globe and i looked after the archive a lot of my job was people phoning up going have you got 
Shakespeare's genuine manuscripts and um, there was a lot of saying no no we really don't the globe was rebuilt in 1997 and everything we have um, you know sort of is from that date so actually in those terms the heritage I was looking after was actually the recordings that had been made of shows the previous day that immediately became an archive and you know so it can be things that are quite recent but it's in broad terms heritage is things that society feels are valuable and worth preserving to hand on to the next generation which of course is a, an, an idea that is open to all sorts of unpicking and um and challenging so if it's if you were to challenge it or what are the main challenges that you encounter around that idea well i suppose the challenges are around well who who makes the decision actually about what's important to survive and i think quite a lot of the time the decision is made for us by serendipity so if you're looking at historic buildings um one of the buildings i'm working with at the moment is actually the remains of a building it's something that no longer exists um and that is alexander pope's grotto so uh alexander pope the poet um built this beautiful villa next to the river thames and created these beautiful gardens part of which were across a road and he dug a grotto tunnel so that he could get into his beautiful garden without you know having to encounter the public or more likely be run over by some sort of gigantic cart or something um and over the years that the house went the gardens went and the grotto but the grotto tunnel has survived um since the 18th century simply just because it's a useful tunnel under the road and people have continued to use it so you get heritage that you know has survived it's been chosen by time and serendipity you know it just happens to have survived um and there are other things that people will make um active decisions about so for instance you know uh the national trust has a huge portfolio of beautiful historic houses that people will go out and visit um there will be a huge number of historic houses that they've been offered that they've opted not to select to be part of their portfolio and some of those you know have turned into conference centers some of them have turned into you know hotels um so there is that act of selection that happens a lot of the time um, and sometimes it's just that things have you know survived by sheer sheer luck um, but but there is a challenge sort of people are making decisions about what's kept it and it's particularly pertinent to archives and documentary heritage it's who's who's deciding um who's deciding which stories get told which records of the past are kept um you know and and there's the sort of power structures in there and I think that's you know that's one of the big challenges really and if it's a challenge is it also an opportunity I think it is and I think um you know it's it's an opportunity that people are taking so going back to the National Trust you know when when they first opened these historic houses to the public it was very much about the families who lived in these houses and were big and important and you know people of power whereas I think over the last you know sort of in a couple of decades, I suppose. Um, time goes faster as I get older, so uh, it might be might be longer or shorter period. But you know, there is much more emphasis on you know looking at below stairs life. What would it have been like to work in one of these places rather than being a family member? Um, there are also 
properties, I think, where they've, um, rather than presenting things very beautifully as well, this is how it would have been in the past, there are, I'm thinking of Colk Abbey in Derbyshire, they've actually allowed it to decay. There are, you know, I mean, it's a controlled decay, but the house was, um, a lot of these houses were used by the um, military during the Second World War as bases, and they weren't cared for as precious heritage objects. You know, they were sort of, you know, very much functional spaces. Um, and in some cases, you know, damage was done. And at Colk Abbey, they are allowing that story to be told. They're allowing it to be presented not as this beautiful grand place that you go around to go, oh, I, I could, I could make my dining room look like this. You know, they're they're telling the story of that sort of social change and that decay that that happens. So I think, you know, there is some work to do it to do with, you know, telling those other stories. And I think within museums, co-curating as well. So actually encouraging communities to come and share what objects are important to them, what stories are important to them. So I think it, you know, there is a lot of a lot of work being done in that way. And it's um, but probably more needs to be done. And what got you involved in that area in the first place? Well, I I did classics at university and I didn't really know what to do with it. It's not the most practical degree. Um, I thought about being a teacher and then I realised I'm not actually very good with children. Um, and one of my friends happened to say, oh, there's jobs going at the London Library. Why don't you apply? So I joined the London Library, which is a... Um, a sort of it's, it's an interesting place it's a it's a sort of private subscription library in in London um and they offer graduate trainee posts every year so I went along on one of their graduate trainee posts and the idea is you graduate you do this year and then you go off to library school but I didn't want to be a librarian so they were very kind and they found me other things to do um and eventually I ended up I'd in the meantime, I'd started a master's doing medieval Latin, which was looking very much working with documents um, and in particularly um, documents from the 12th century. So I got very into the idea of books and manuscripts as physical objects and how they were made and how they were constructed and the social conditions that were in place around um, around the time of their construction. And eventually one of the, the head librarian at the London Library said, well, you want to be an archivist, not a librarian. And I said, well, I don't know what that is. Um, so anyway, off, off I went and I looked into it and thought, oh, it's old things and medieval manuscripts, but there's also quite a bit about computers. And at that point, you know, if you wanted to do a website, you had to learn to code. You had to learn to code in HTML and that was quite fun so I ended up qualifying as an archivist um, and the thing with archives you're supposed to be looking after you know records you know written record or you know more recently digital records but actually it's always could you look after the archives and so um, in one job it was can you look after the archives and the rare book collection or and the art collection so you end up I ended up you know not not strictly speaking, just being an archivist. And this culminated in me becoming a museum director by mistake, almost. Um, I applied for a job that was open to either archivists or museum professionals and ended up running a museum. Um, so I've, along the line, I've also worked in historic houses. So it's sort of, I don't think there's been a sort of active career path where I said, you know, sat down at the age of 21 and went, right, you know, in sort of 30 years time, this is where I want to be. I think it's just been one of those things where opportunities have 
come up and I've taken them and I've sort of wiggled my way to, to where I am now, really. And there's lots of people that I've spoken to that have wiggled up until this point. Um, what do you want to happen in the future? So I think about three years ago, um, before we knew that COVID was happening and all of those things, about three years ago, I decided um, quite, and it was probably the first active decision I've taken about my career that hasn't been a kind of, oh, I'll just go and have a look and do that. That looks interesting. Um, I decided I wanted to be a freelancer. Um, and there were various reasons for that. I I would say my attention span is not huge when it comes to jobs. I, I get bored very, very easily. And it's an awful thing to say because I've worked in the most astonishing places with the most wonderful collections. And it's not about them, but it's with me. After about three years, I start to get itchy feet and I, I want to do something different. Um, so it was partly that. And it was partly because I live in Dorset and most jobs are not in Dorset. And I was faced with either doing, you know, sort of working part time when I really needed financially to be working full time. Um, at one point, I was doing a weekly commute and only seeing my family at the weekends. Um, and it all, it, it all just sort of, you know, felt quite difficult. And I so I decided I was going to go freelance. Um, and I went on a course with the wonderful Museum Freelance Network, um, run by Marge Ainsley and Christina Lister. And they did a wonderful course for what do you want? What do you do if you want to be a freelancer? Um, and then I left my full time permanent paid post and went, da, I'm a freelancer. And about, uh, oh, six months later, COVID arrived. <laughs> so it was the timing was, um, was not great. But I think that's, you know, that's, that's the first time I've taken that very active decision. And that's, I've hung on in there. Um, and that's, that is really where I want to be. I want to be doing um, interesting things with interesting people, interesting collections. Um, and, and, you know, doing lots of it rather than maybe saying, okay, well, I'll take this nice role and I'll do that for the next 20 years and then I'll retire and thanks. Um, that That's what I want to be doing. There's more more people and more collections and more um, interesting places to, to work with. Oh, that sounds so fascinating. I, I'm going to ask you what I think is probably a really tricky question, but um, yeah, avoid it if you want to. <laughs> But like, do you have a favorite place or like piece of heritage or even like, Ooh. like um, age of history or like is, is it do you have like, is there anything that's a preference for you? So I really, I, I really like medieval stuff. And it's, it's partly because they're them you know their way of life and their mindset is so very, very different to ours. I mean, you know, it is a very, very different period of time. But they're kind of quirky and strange medieval people. And so you can sort of you can sort of relate to them. And I, I follow endless Twitter. There's a lot of really good Twitter accounts that, you know, just have photos from medieval manuscripts of the weird stuff that they put in the margins of these manuscripts. You know, just really odd, quirky, almost kind of Monty Pythonish, you know, odd oddities um so I have a, a real affinity for that um and when I was doing my master's and working with medieval Latin manuscripts it, you know it it seemed extraordinary that these were things that were almost a thousand years old in some cases but you you'd be looking through them 
and obviously everything's handwritten and you'd start to think you're getting tired aren't you because you're making more <laughs> and more mistakes as we go down this page you're and then they'd obviously get to the end of their shift because a different hand would start and you think yeah you finished now haven't you someone else has come in to relieve you and carry on the writing you know and it's that weird sort of connection with the past so I think you know I, I have a real soft spot for for all things medieval in terms of places that's a really hard one um I think I'm trying to think I mean in some ways I do have a real affection for Shakespeare's Globe because although it is a it is a modern construct, you know, based on a, an idea of what might have been there in the past. But there is, I think, because a lot of traditional crafts went into building it, um, you know, a lot of traditional knowledge was drawn on that's been handed down to, you know, via generations of craftspeople. And there is a warmth to that building, you know, there is a real, um, and I think because it's sort of, uh, I mean, it's not circular, but it's, you know, it's, it's circular in feel, um, you know, it's just sort of huge polygon really, but it, it's sort of quite enclosing and quite warm and just, you know, quite a lovely place. Um, and, the, you know, the, the work that goes on there is quite special. So though it's not an old place, particularly that I've, I've worked, I do, you know, it's sort of, um, it's sort of quite special to me really. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'm really sure that anybody listening would be like, interested to know the answer to that but I also I love how when you started talking about medieval people you talked in present tense like it, it, yeah it was they are like this and that's that's fascinating because yeah. then it comes to life if you think about them as kind of real yeah and yet at the same time they're sort of unknowable because we don't have photographs we don't have film footage we you know most people wouldn't have written in a personal capacity about anything at that point you know the people who are writing things down are very much doing it in a you know in an official capacity um but you do get echoes of people's voices in things like court records you know where it was a very sort of verbal society you know so um if you know if there was a problem between two people and it would go to court and the court records do actually document pretty much verbatim what pe people are saying and it is very much so that he said she said you know so so you do get these tiny snippets of what was what people were like but it's yeah it's it's a funny one because actually they're in some ways quite unknowable it's so very long ago um but yeah I quite I quite enjoy that period yeah it is fascinating and you telling the story makes me more interested so um that's basically your job then isn't it <laughs> winning winning <laughs> winning so if you were to give some advice to a young person in education now what what's yeah what's your top advice um, generally or in terms of working in this area I could do both yeah both both it's interesting I okay. always ask that question deliberately openly and so yeah people, yeah so I think you know it's a very pertinent question for me my daughter is in oh my, you know third week of GCSE exams at the moment and I think I think my advice is do as well as you can at school you know it's important it's good to know stuff um but 
don't plan too hard. I mean, I was absolutely horrified that when, well, I was horrified that I had to apply to my daughter's school just for her to stay on to the sixth form, which I found bizarre because I thought you just kind of carried on through. Um, and I thought very much that the application would be, what's your name, where do you live, how far, you know, are you within our catchment area, yes, no. But actually, no, she had to fill in this whole kind of UCAS form type thing at the age of 15 saying what she wanted to do as her career what A-level choices she was going for, how did her A-level choices, you know, how would they actually progress this future career she had in mind? And I thought, how, how extraordinary to do that, because actually when I was 15 and ex at school, there are all, sort of, all sorts of jobs that exist now that did not exist you know, so how can you sit there and know what you're going to do and go in that direction? You know, all those people who wanted to be, I don't know, social media influencer, you know, that wasn't a thing in our day. Do you know what I mean? And it's the same for them. You know, these people who are at school now, there are going to be all these jobs that you've never heard of. And actually, in a way that happened to me, you know, somebody old where I worked said, you want to be an archivist? And I went, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. What's an archive? No idea. You know, because... I'd never come across one. Um, yeah. And I think the thing is, it's you come across doctors, you know, bus drivers, train drivers, you know, you you don't necessarily come across other things. And I think it's so I would say my advice is don't don't plan too hard, you know, see what comes along. Um, and my advice, if you want to work in heritage, is just be prepared for the fact there's not really very much money for things. And you might spend a lot of time volunteering before you get any kind of paid work. And when you get paid work, it might not be what you were, you know, what you were dreaming of. You know, it is there are a lot of people trying to get into that area of work. And, you know, without wanting to offend the university sector there are a lot of universities churning out qualifications without being mindful of whether there's jobs for people to go to there we go the whole university sector is going to hate me now <laughs> uh, but you know that's, yeah. that's that is the truth you know so people... work hard at school don't plan too hard yeah and if you want to get into heritage do it with your eyes open marry someone rich <laughs> <laughs> get a trust fund get a saturday I'm job i'm not editing this i'm not going to edit that out but at the same time i'm not <laughs> but it's not you know the serious point is you're not going to make your millions working in heritage um it you're just not and um and I think it's it's important to get across because I think yeah. you know there are there are people getting you know paying substantial amounts of money to get postgraduate qualifications, which is the you know basically that there are you know apprenticeships and things being developed now. Thank goodness because yeah. you know for most of the time I've been in this industry, the entry level qualification is a postgraduate degree. Yeah, it costs money. It costs money, um, and you you come out with your qualification and your debt probably and you might not get a job at all and if you do get a job you'll probably be paid less than you'd get paid in a supermarket being realistic you know I mean it is it is sort of slightly outrageous really um, but equally you know if you love it and you persevere and you work hard you can get a reasonably paid job doing yeah. something really lovely and important yeah yeah, that's useful. And for a career changer, um, is that what advice would you give to somebody who might be interested in entering heritage as a career change option? 
so I think there are I think there are lots of options because I think there are a lot of skills that can be used within the sector um, that are out there, which actually people who've qualified don't necessarily have. So one of the things I'm thinking of is um, one of the projects I'm working on at the moment, we've got a work experience placement um, who's come to us uh, through Job Centre Plus. It's um, that people are now allowed to do these sort of volunteering placements um, to build up skills for their CV. Um, and this guy's skills are in digital marketing and content creation for social media. And in this museum I'm working in, we're like, oh, my days, none of us have a clue about this. Amazing. You know, so he's coming in and actually helping us to understand how these things work. Now, arguably, that should be a paid role, but it's a volunteer-run museum. And therefore, it, you know, there isn't that role there to fill. Um, but there are all these skills that are, you know, are you know, things like marketing, finance, HR, all have to happen within the heritage sector as much as they do anywhere else. So I think, you know, for someone wanting to change career, you can work in that environment um, and, um, you know, be part of that work that's happening, but without necessarily sort of saying, oh, I better go and, you know, do an archaeology degree or I better go and, you know, sort of qualify as a museum professional you know there are all sorts of ways into working in that environment with the with the skills that you might have already um because all those functional things like it and finance hr it all needs to still happen um yeah, yeah. so really tuning into what it is you do know and yeah 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 and then if you know and then if people really do want to requalify well at least you've got your foot in the door and you've worked in that environment and you can make sure it's for you actually because i mean you know career changing can be quite a you know quite a leap in the dark potentially so i think you know testing out a new environment and seeing whether it really is for you is um is a good idea in you know whatever sector probably yeah yeah no that's great advice um a quick question I think it's quick. How do you feel that creativity plays uh, has a part in your kind of career and role? It's an interesting one. I think sometimes, um, sometimes it's you know it it really has been at the forefront. So, for instance, when I was a museum director, you know, thinking creatively was at the centre of what I did. You know, I had to come up with ideas for exhibitions. I had to come up with ideas for programming. So sometimes um, it really does come to the fore. Um, other times I'm very much sat there with a spreadsheet and I don't feel very, and you can't really be creative with spreadsheets because you need to say what's, re what's really going on with the money. Being creative is not, not a good thing there. Um, but I suppose even, you know, even when I'm doing work that isn't creative, I, I do, I do like to sort of play with a bit of creativity so even if it's things like you know one one boring afternoon during covid when i was dramatically underemployed i spent a whole afternoon making my box files all look beautiful with these ridiculous labels and i sort of sat there all afternoon with a scalpel and you know sort of cutting out beautiful things and making you know just to create a beautiful environment so um I think sometimes the creativity is sort of around in environment and making things nice around me rather than, um, you know, actively feeding into what I'm doing. But um, yeah, it depends on the, it depends on the role really. Yeah. Yeah. 
Excellent. So we are coming to the end of our time. And I wonder if you have a book or a podcast that you would like to recommend. Oh, well, one I was thinking about this books is books is too hard. Um, there is a podcast called Londonist Out Loud, um, which I'm hoping is still going strong. I used to download it and listen to it a lot when I was commuting. Um, and I came across it because I was actually interviewed for it uh, many, many years ago, and I'd never heard of it. And then it got me interested and I started listening to it. But it's real, um, it explores sort of hidden history in London. So not you know, the Tower of London and the things that everyone's heard of, the sort of weird and wonderful things behind the scenes that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily know were there. Um, and some of them just aren't open to the public and therefore you'd have no way of knowing they're there or they might be sort of small volunteer run places. But it's that sort of, you know, the, I suppose, the sort of weird bits of history, you know, the sort of the oddities. So um, I've always really enjoyed listening to that one. Though I don't listen back to the one I recorded, obviously. It's too stressful. <laughs> well, we'll make sure we put a link to it in the notes. Maybe if we can find it, we'll do it, we'll put a link to yours. Um if anybody wants to know more about you, how do they follow you or reach out to you? So my um my website and my website is mrsvnorthwood.com. My Twitter is at Mrs. V Northwood. Um I'm I'm the misses is because many years ago I was uh, I went for a job interview and was asked you know how I could possibly expect to do that job when I had a when I had a husband and children at home and I went through a brief phase of thinking well maybe I'll just pretend not to be married on my CV and then it just made me really angry so I went no I'm going to be really I'm going to be really out there so that's why there's the Mrs V Northwood on everything so um yeah so Twitter at Mrs V Northwood and then websites Mrs V Northwood.com oh excellent well I'll definitely put those links as well um that's everything thank you so much it's been really really interesting to chat to you um, thank you for inviting me thank you, thank you.